0: I want to talk about the bear, the little teddy bear, the adorable little cute, cuddly children's teddy bear that landed a woman in prison in Sudan. We all know that story. We saw that in the New York Post a couple of days ago. I love the... Uh, no one will ever accuse the Post of pure objective reporting. when, when, when they, In the first or second paragraph, they refer to the Muslim extremists who are calling for the death of this teacher who allowed the classroom kids to name the teddy bear Mohammed and the we York post called them Islamo loonies which <laughs> I think is pretty terrific. Islamo nuts, I think they also did I'm amazed they didn't do the one that I thought of when I read the story, which would be Islamorons. I think mean, I think that has a lovely kind of lilt to it. Islamorons. And let's face it, that's what they are if they're getting all head up about a bunch of kids naming a bear, a name that is so incredibly common in black and Islamic culture and Arab culture, and a name that they pick not to disgrace the name of this so-called holy prophet, not to, to make fun of him, but because I'm sure half the people, half the men they know are named Muhammad, they're taught Islam, they're taught to love Muhammad, so here's this cute, adorable teddy bear that they love, they want to name it that, and suddenly, the teacher is brought up on charges, and she faced six months in prison. That was, that was her potential sentence, this, this English woman who was teaching in Sudan. She faced six months in prison, and not just deportation, but lashes, the actual corporal punishment, 40 liberal lashes with a whip, or whatever the hell those people use over there, their, their shoes or maybe rocks, if you, if you listen to the way some of the radicals were jumping up and down and screaming and getting airtime. It was like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, she, she's there to teach anyone else a lesson. Who what? Who decides to name a children's toy after a prophet. I wonder, I, I, there must be in American and other and Jewish cultures toys named Abraham I don't know how many toys there are named Moses, but I'll bet if you go into a shop like in in Cedarhurst or in a very, very religious Jewish neighborhood, I'll bet there are Moses toys and Moses action figures and Abraham and Sarah doll sets. Now, granted, they're supposed to be the actual personages. And I don't know if you'd see so many things named... Moses that weren't. You're not going to see a a platypus that that just happens to be named Moses. Okay, but that's just because Moses is a weird, funny kind of name, unless you're an old black janitor. Whereas Abraham, certainly a a common enough name, and, and common enough to give anything. You can name the leftover lemon in your refrigerator Abraham. No Jew's going to start screaming and going, well, how dare you take the father of our nation, his name in vain. Nonsense. Just complete and utter nonsense. Now, I'm under the impression that 99% of the people out there who are listening to this program agree with me. Agree fully that this is madness. That this woman should not have done one second of jail time, let alone the 15 days that they gave her. It's, It's the Taliban all over the place. Not just in Afghanistan, but obviously having their hooks into Iraq and Iran, and now, you know, a little nowhere like Sudan, and making trouble there, this kind of trouble, that is now sort of silly, okay, so they've got this woman, and she named the teddy bear, and they put her in jail for two weeks, and then they're going to throw her out of the country, that's all, yeah, okay, idiots, if they don't harm her, if they don't rape her in prison, if she manages to get from the prison cell back to England without getting killed or stoned to death by by lunatics, with guns or whatever the hell, they have sabers, Fine. But is this then the precursor of what they're going to do the next time, and the next time they give someone four months in jail, and the the 40 lashes, and then the next time there really is a stoning or a hanging or, or what those people love to do, the head chopping, that, that's their, their specialty, I guess. I mean, at what point, at what point, does the world have to step in to these radical crazies and say, Yes, even though what's happening is just going on in your borders, in your country, it is anathema to the way civilized people behave, whether in the Western world or the Eastern world. You better stop it, or we're going to stomp on you. I mean, I I think the um, most discouraging conversation I I briefly overheard, either on a train or maybe it was on another radio station, I, I really don't remember, was the fact that we've been hearing the past few weeks that we're really making some progress in Iraq. That, that certainly um, our casualty rate, the, mo- the thing I only really mostly care about is how many American soldiers that we're losing over there. And happily enough, even though this has been the worst year so far of the Iraq War for that, since the surge, we've really we've come up in the war. I mean, we, we've really put a stint and stanched some of the bleeding, literal, of our soldiers. And there's fewer and fewer, and that's all right. And there's there's more stability there. Now, granted, you read the New York Times an article that the whole economy is running on blackmail and bribes. Well, you know, welcome to the rest of the world. Well, well welcome to America, too, but really the rest of the world. So, yeah, of course, things are, are still terrible there. It's still a catastrophe. It's just a little bit less of a catastrophe. People are, that's the thing, refugees are starting to move back, because it's their homeland, and it seems to have gotten a little better, and the main thing is, seems to have gotten better for our boys and girls over there. Problem is, A, they're still over there, I assume the surge is still somewhat surged, we haven't pulled out yet, and we've taken our eye off the ball in Afghanistan, a place that we had locked up, a place where, we, okay, we can't secure every hill in that ridiculous little country, but it is our big country. And yet we took our eye off them. And now the Taliban seems to be having a rebound there, and they're coming back. And those are, that is the people, those are the mentality. I mean, we talk about Al-Qaeda, that's the militant wing, but it's it's the spirit of the Taliban that has to be killed and crushed and ground into the dirt off the face of the earth. If we're going to have some kind of safe and secure and civilized future for the Western world, for the world itself. So hopefully, George Bush or whoever comes in in a year from now will take a look at Afghanistan again and say, aha, maybe a surge there is important or if not a surge, then just a lot more bombing, carpet bombing and airplanes and and getting the training camps, just getting those out. We don't have to occupy... This bomb and go. Bomb and go. It's what we should have done in Iraq. Really. It's what we should have done four and a half, five years ago. We all we like Saddam Hussein. I mean, it was a stupid thing to invade there in the first place. It was not the country that was giving us trouble. I'm, I'm rushing through this because I've said these things on the air many, many times. So people who have heard this, I don't want to bore them, but... Iraq was certainly the wrong country at the wrong time for us to go into on the pretext of stopping terrorism. Because, of course, Saddam Hussein, his enemy, was our enemies. He took him as our friend, because the, friend, uh, the, the enemy of our enemy is our friend. And yet, we took our quote-unquote friend, we knocked him down and occupied his country. And that's really the whole mess. There it is in a nutshell. And with George Bush being the, the nut. So... What we could have done if we really wanted to and needed to go into Iraq, assuming there were mepo- weapons of mass destruction, we go in there, we knock out the weapons of mass destruction, we, we topple the government, and in about two or three months, after saturation bombing, we leave a few people there to patrol a little bit, and then get the heck out. And we can still do that, and I've been saying this for a long time. We, we, get, ah, we get our boys away from there. Now what happens? They would say, well, that's a a disaster. It's it's a tragedy in the making, because all that will happen is there'll be this power vacuum, and who's going to rush in but the radicals? But the the al-Qaeda, the Taliban, they'll take over, and it'll become a radicalized Muslim state. My gosh, if we all pull out now, what terrible thing will happen? What kind of power vacuum will occur? And as I said, will al-Qaeda rush in to fill it? But the point is, you get out and you leave chaos, and then you see what happens in the chaos. And if it's bad for America and for the world, nothing's stopping us from going back in. This is what I never understood, and I never understood why nobody thought of this or brought this up. You leave a place, you can fly back. You don't have to stick around. You don't have to stay. If I go visiting friends on a Friday night and I have dinner with them, you know, I can stay over a night if it's late. I will not want to go back on the uh, Long Island Railroad and leave Saturday morning. And then two weeks later, I do dinner with them again and come back. I don't have to stay with them for two weeks and become an annoyance and a pest. And, and they're becoming annoying to me as well. <clears throat> I can come, do what I have to do, enjoy their company, and go. Why can't we do that with any country that's giving us nightmares and horrors? If Iraq, let's say, let's say there were weapons of mass destruction, we go in, we bomb, we destroy, we we topple the government, we take over briefly, we try and set up some kind of provisional thing within a few weeks, and we see how it goes. And if it doesn't go, and then suddenly there's radical Islam rising to power and oppressing the people and rattling its swords and making trouble, we fly back in and we bomb some more. Meanwhile, in the time when we're not there, we let them kill each other instead of killing us. That's the main thing. Let them kill... You, know, you want to say isolationist. Let them go nuts. Let them have their little civil war, or big civil war. And then, if we don't like the outcome, and the outcome is a serious danger to us, and it's not like we can be this big, bad, bully America that we've often been... And any country that elects a leader that isn't completely on our side, we go, oh, well, you know, we're just going to go in there and do a CIA thing or, or or bomb and take over. No. But if there constitutes a new serious threat, we just go back and do shock and awe all over again. The point was we didn't have to stay there for three and a half years, losing nearly 4,000 people to get to the point where really we almost would have been had we not come <laughs> I, I, we just bombed and left. So, anyway, those are my thoughts on, on all of this, on the teddy bear scandal in Sudan. Today's the day to where teddy bears named Mohammed. <sighs> well, detention time from teddy bears. Maybe sure, if I have time. I'll, I'll write some kind of song about that, but by the time I finish the song, it'll be old news, hopefully. But, really stupid stuff. Anyway, I've got about two more minutes before I'm going to do a couple of commercials and start my real program here on WGBB. It's called Dave's Gone By. It's been on the air since October of 2002, and it's sometimes political, but more likely than not. It's about comedy, talk radio, interviews, humor. Sometimes Jeff Goodman is my guest co-host, but of course he's not here, because he's away in a much nicer country than Sudan. And... What I'm going to fill this episode with is me. (laughs) Yes, yes, the, the, the ego wins out. Greetings from Long Island, where every highway is a sunrise. It's time for Dave's Gone By, an hour of comedy, talk, and music brought to you by Total Theater with your host, Dave Lefkowitz. You've never heard anything like it, so sit back, relax, squeal if you must. Here's the host of Dave's Gone By, Dave!
1: Tropical hot dog night! I fruit fight.
0: Well? There goes the dave Welcome, everybody, to the 249th episode of Dave's Gone By. That's right, 249, which means we're one away from our big, exciting, special 250th episode. Which also means that this episode is kind of, you know, same old and crappy. But you should stick around anyway, because what I give you, a crappy show. Would I bother to come here to Babylon, Long Island, where the studios of WGBB are, and uh, especially in weather like this, make the trek, do the work, and 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 just sit here and you know, just shrug my shoulders and give you blah? Would I subject you to dreck? Well, occasionally yes, but but tonight no. Tonight got a very very fun show. To do for you because it's just packed with cool things, including I'm going to talk about my uh, recent trip to San Francisco, just a little bit of that and stuff I wanted to tell you about. We've also got Inside Broadway, as we do every week, brought to you by Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, The Bible of Broadway. Well, this is the place to hear about what's happening on Broadway. Of course, it was a very busy and exciting, and thank goodness. Happy Week, because the stagehands went back to work, and the actors went back to work, and everybody, you know, compromises, compromises. Nobody was particularly happy, except theatergoers, because Broadway's back up and running. I'll be talking about that, as well as reviewing a couple of shows, including the new revival of Pygmalion that the Roundabout Theater is doing, starring Claire Danes. So, that's all part of Inside Broadway tonight on Dave's Gone By. Also, the News Gone By. And I was checking back and I was wonder time just really really does seem to fly. I, I know that's a cliche metaphor if there ever was one. But I was like, well, when did I last do a News Gone By segment? Now News Gone By is a John Stewarty Saturday night live weekend update look at current news, at what's going on in the world with a with a wry and pointed and twisted sense of humor. I must have done one a couple of weeks ago. Well, yeah, I did. Back in September. And I used to do these almost every week. So I'm a little embarrassed about it being so long. So we're going to do one tonight. News Gone By returns on Dave's Gone By. And I was going to say that we don't have a guest or a special guest, as we, we often do. In fact, next week on uh, Dave's Gone By, for our 250th episode, we're going to have the former CEO of Viacom. Is that, is that freaking cool or what? President, and he was also a big muckety-muck at CBS TV as well, so really excited. I'll tell you more about that later, but not tonight. Tonight we have a very different kind of muckety-muck, someone who, who well, who really tends to be more in the muck part. His name is Rabbi Saul Solomon. He's the spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York, and he was on our very, very first episode back in October of 2002. He's back tonight because his TV show on Cablevision, Cablevision of Woodbury, Long Island, hopefully you all get it, and his show airs Wednesday mornings at 7.30 on Channel 20, and he does the rabbi thing. He does sermons, he tells some jokes, he sings some spiritual hymns, He is a rabbi of sorts, and he's going to celebrate Hanukkah in... Of fashion, on his upcoming show this Wednesday, and he's going to give us a preview on tonight's episode of Dave's Gone By, including singing the the very beautiful Jewish hymn, Maoz Suris, and he's also going to be telling about how he discovered, well, or how he helped discover the dreidel cam. Definitely do not go away. You, you don't want to miss the rabbi. Anyway, all of that is tonight on Dave's Gone By. So, so what did I say? Did I promise... That it would be a worthwhile show? That I promise that I won't just go throwing blech at you? No. No, it's going to be lovely. And it's all brought to you, and me, and all of us, by Fancy Schmancy Balloons, your party decorating kings. What they do is they do the centerpieces, and they do the balloons and the archways for your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your christening, your Christmas party. God knows, or if you're having a New Year's party, this is the time, folks, you're going to want balloons, and you're going to want the thing to look great, and Jeff, the owner of Fancy Schmancy Balloons, will make that happen for you. So, even though he's in Thailand at the moment, he'll be back in time to do your parties, so give him a call, 516-797-3229, 516-797-3229, for Fancy Schmancy Balloons. And this program is also brought to you by Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, The Bible of Broadway. Find out more at PerformingArtsInsider.com. It's also brought to you by MortgagesRock.com. They are not just grantors of mortgages, but they teach you how to get mortgages and financing for your friends, for your neighbors, your relatives, your coworkers. You learn the business of getting loans for people. And once you do it, you get commission. You find out all the information. They've got a great website, mortgagesrock.com. But again, it's not just a website. There are, there are people behind it. There's an office. There's actual humans you talk to if you have any questions at mortgagesrock.com. So let's see. Oh, and Hewlett Minuteman Press. How could I leave them out? our beloved longtime sponsors, Hewlett Minuteman Press, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett, Long Island, right next to the new Lowman's Shoe Store. And remember, tell them Dave sent you for 10% off any order, big or small, at Hewlett Minuteman Press. Well, got to get this show on the road. And speaking of on the road, I was about a week and a half ago to the lovely, lovely city of San Francisco. I'm going to tell you all about my little adventures there right after these messages. And I do want to clarify uh, something about mortgagesrock.com. Really great guys. Andy Lebowitz is the, the head of that company and people who, who live around where I live and uh, have passed by the mortgagesrock.com offices in Hewlett, Long Island, which is, is where part of the company was based, they're going to be like, "No, wait a minute, we're seeing a for sale sign on the building, and where are they, and what happened? Don't, uh, don't get any weird or wrong ideas. com is still very, very much around. They, they've consolidated and moved into Poly into their Valley Stream office. So Andy's still there, and they're still an actual real place with real people. So you know, I, I don't want anybody to sort of feel like, wait a minute, he's on the air, he's talking about this company and I passed by their so-called office, and they're for sale, and all the furniture's out. Well, yes, all the furniture's out because they transferred it to Valley Stream to their other office, and things are fine. So check them out, mortgagesrock.com. Anyway, speaking of things moving and traveling and going, had a wonderful time about two weeks ago when my wife and I went to San Francisco because uh, she had a conference there. My wife is a sociologist, and she's out there, you know, busting her butt, looking for tenure-track positions and meeting people to work with and write with and do post-dissertation stuff with. So there's a, a pretty important conference uh, involving aging. That's her specialty, as it were. Because <laughs> she's aging very fast. No, I kid. I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to get in the house tonight. And so, we probably the third or fourth time we've been to San Francisco, and I love the place more each and every time I go. The first time I went, I was like... Uh, it's kind of like New York, but a little grayer, and certainly much smaller, and a little harder to navigate, Navigate because it's so hilly, and everything's a bit of a schlep, even though you can go on foot, and the cable cars, they're so crowded, you can't get on to that it. it's kind of a little like, that's eh, it's alright. Second time I went, about a year or so ago, I don't know, it just struck me as kind of a sweeter, more pleasant New York, and more navigable, more navigable, because... It was so much smaller, and you could walk a lot of places much more easily. And there was pretty good transportation. And they also had the Golden Gate Bridge, which is beautiful, and you the water. And it was just like, oh, something to be said for this place. And now, I, I won't say I left my heart in San Francisco, but I would say that this particular trip two weeks ago, I left a kidney and maybe, maybe part of my bladder in San Fran. I will say that there was... Go figure... This, this invariably happens to us when we go traveling. Like, um, one time we were in Los Angeles, and the day after we came back home, um, there was an old man who crashed into a farmer's market, an outdoor street farmer's market, killing, like, three people. And this was a block from the hotel where we'd been staying, and we'd been through that farmer's market. And we're like, okay, all right. And then another time, we had to go to Omaha, Nebraska, conference about two years ago and what do you know as we are on the plane coming to Omaha, Nebraska they were having hurricane and tornado warnings and actually there was a diner that got briefly hit by a tornado and it lost like three tiles off the roof and that thank goodness was their only uh, stuff but but somehow we, we have this weird karma that thank God we haven't been directly involved in except my old story about going to Aruba and being stuck there for a day but As if there are not worse things than being stuck in Aruba for an extra day. But in this particular case with San Francisco, um, as we're there and we're we're touring the nice little oceanfront, there's actually the folks in the hazmat suits because they had that oil spill uh, that was in the news about three weeks ago where that tanker, took something uh, a little off and just clipped the side and lost all the oil in its fuel tank. It didn't lose, by the way, barrels and barrels of oil that it was carrying. It just lost the oil that was powering the ship. So 58,000 gallons of oil poured into San Francisco Bay. And you figure, oh my God, 58,000 gallons. So I expected to see ducks covered with muck. Muck being kind fairly of operative word today. and And seagulls literally unable to poke their heads out of the water because the ooze and the goo is keeping them down. And I will say, we did see people in hazmat kinds of suits, and those orange hat thingies cleaning and going around the shoreline and and putting markers in. But the the river itself, the the water itself, looked fine. And I was wondering, well, how the heck is that possible? Where is the and my uncle, who was a was, oh, excuse me, not my, my cousin, my cousin Peter, who has lived out in Berkeley for a bunch of years. Berkeley, I, I just like pronouncing it with the extra syllable, I don't know why. And he said, you know, 58,000 gallons is the size of a really nice size swimming pool. And then when you compare that to the size of San Francisco Bay, well, you start to understand it was a bad, bad spill, but you're also not just going to see... Gigantic oil slick, horrible on all the rocks and everywhere too. I mean, it's it's keeping in perspective. Thank God. Um, so so at least that was was kind of a nice thing. I didn't even get to see Golden Gate Bridge this time. We saw another bridge, but uh, Golden Gate kind of had to wait this time. I will say it is a gray city. I would hate to. I mean, I know why they do filmmaking in Los Angeles and not San Francisco, even though San Francisco is a much more beautiful and charming city. It's because you just don't know what the the weather's going to be there. It'll be sunny for ten minutes and so beautiful, and then the rest of the day will drizzle, and then sun will come out for five more minutes. You'll do a shot in a a movie. I don't know how they shot the streets of San Francisco in San Francisco. It must have looked like crap, because if you do... One scene, like the sun comes out, and it's like, okay, let's take it, let's grab it. Then, by the time you turn the cameras around to get the reaction shot, the other person is completely in shadow and is drizzle on the lens. But even so, one thing that San Francisco has that is extraordinary is that fog. It can be so beautiful. I went for a long walk on um, one morning that, that I had free. And just tromp, tromp, tromp from Union Square area up past the hotels and everything, all the way a couple of miles, and came across one part of the campus of San Francisco University. And if I tell you, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Just, just trudging up there, and I look to my right, and there's this college building, this old you know, gothicish thing, but it's on this thing called Lone Mountain. That's the actual campus name for it, Lone Mountain. It's on this, looks more like a hill than a mountain, quite honestly, but if they want to call it a mountain, all right. And it was foggy, so there was mist and shrouding the whole middle of the campus area. You could see the tops of the trees in the buildings, and you could see the bottom and the entranceways, but all the middle was in fog, and it was just this mountain and this beautiful campus rising up. And also the weird part was, even though it was founded by Franciscan monks 150 odd years ago the entrance to this college was done in this Asian feng shui way so it wasn't just like green lawn and stairs and there's your building it was you have these hedges and all these things that kept you from going directly into the building because that's what. that that whole feng shui thing is about. You can't just go directly into something. You've got to walk a quarter mile out of your way, twisting and turning, so you go in indirectly. Whatever. I I still don't get the actual, important psychological, spiritual reason for that stuff, but boy, it sure makes for a beautiful visual when you see that covered in fog. So if anybody's going to San Francisco, I totally recommend trying to, to get to Lone Mountain campus on a foggy day. I look for pictures of it on the internet, and I can't find any that show the image in just that light, in just that, that beauty. Anyway, um, what else did I do out in uh, San Francisco? The, the one thing, though, the one thing that I think would get to me if I had to live there, and I, I don't think I would mind living there, is fire engines. Now, I, don't, I haven't lived in New York City in, in ages, and occasionally where I live in the suburbs, you'll get fire engines going down Plainsville Boulevard or or Mill Road and they're annoying and you get a big fire and it lasts for a couple of minutes, but in San Francisco, man, and maybe because we were in a hotel in Union Square District and kind of high up, but every hour or so there'd be fire engines coming down, going through these streets and because it's such a small city and the way it's arranged, Every fire sounds like a ten-alarm-er. And it's just, it, the, the fire could be th- two miles away, and you still hear the engine like it's in the next room. And, a, and literally a few times a night, I, I guess you get used to it like New York traffic, like anything else. But that, that kind of struck me after a while. I guess San Francisco being San Francisco, they have to be very, very careful and thoughtful about fires. <laughs> Remember what happened in 1906 after the earthquake. So I understand being extra cautious about that sort of thing. But still, that was the one little problem I would have if I have to, had to stay there for a particularly long time. We did get to go, thanks to to uh, my cousin Pierre and also our good friend Greg, who's living out there with his um, or near his girlfriend Isabella, to a bookstore the likes of which. I don't think exists anywhere in them anymore. I mean, we still have The Strand in New York, which is pretty exciting, but rather well-kept well, well kept comparatively. We went to a bookstore in Oakland, California. I swear to God, Charles Foster Kane would have put this thing together. But if Kane had already gone mad and, and didn't have any real filing system, all you would see is books piled upon books, shelves and rows and stocks of books, and... About every conceivable subject, and yes, there were categorized in different areas but I mean you would you would go to the the entertainment, theater and movie section, which I did of course, and there'd be these entertainment and theater books, and then suddenly, right next to them, they would have i guess for sale ledger sheets of old bookstores and the books that they sold in the nineteen sixties was like something that nobody really would want, and yet you would hate to throw out because. It might be a value to, to one person in a million who might find that useful, and that's the kind of store it was. And just, I wish I remember the name of it. Unfortunately, I don't. But it's in Oakland in a little side street, and and totally worth seeking. I mean, you would, you would see people's sheet music collections there and paintings, and it just rose. The thing must have been it was probably only about two or three stories high, but the ceilings were so high, so so it was just stacked up. To To enormous heights of books and books and books, and if you 're a, a book person like me that's that 's a kind of a heavenly thing Oh, and before I finish my little recounting of what we did in San Francisco, I will say that I saw two performances there since i 'm a theater person that i that I quite enjoyed. Saw, first of all, a little review called Shopping the Musical By a guy who does a few different reviews out there Has done a couple by now And it's it's a pretty typical, familiar thing If you've gone to New York reviews like um, Secrets Every Smart Traveler Should Know Which make fun of the travel industry and and tourists and things like that Or Pets the Musical Which we these songs about dogs and cats and things like that Well, this was about shopping And it was actually quite clever surprisingly so, some cute songs, pretty good cast, I'm not saying it was the best thing ever, but if you brought that to New York, I think it could work, and, uh, and rather nicely done, I hope it does have a future outside of San Francisco, shopping the musical, also saw a show that will definitely have, <coughs> pardon me, a future outside the West Coast, Argonautica, it's the latest project from Mary Zimmerman, she is the brilliant, probably genius, director, out of, uh, Chicago, who gave us the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci and her, for me, her masterpiece, Metamorphoses, which was the one that she did about those Greek myths. And she did it just during and after um, 9-11. And it was so powerful. It was all these myths, and, and they were done within a swimming pool. Beautifully, beautifully done. Well, Argonautica doesn't top it, But it's certainly worth seeing. If she's telling the story of Jason and the Argonauts, Jason being the fella who ended up marrying Medea, and then, well, treating her badly, and then she treats him even worse. Well, this is the early part of that story, when he was still a young guy, and he wanted to prove himself by going to find the Golden Fleece. Jason and the Golden Fleece. And he has to get on a ship and go through all these adventures to go find it, and Medea ends up helping him. That's how she became his eventual wife and they tell this story in the usual way that Mary Zimmerman works which is very physicalized energetic um, direction occasionally and I think the one thing that she could lose from Orgonautica aside from maybe five or ten minutes because it's a little longish is um, the anachronisms and some of the profanity it's kind of like you're into it it's fun there's a lot of uh, fun humor and physicality in the show they don't need to have anachronistic jokes and and four-letter words here and there. It it breaks the spell. And if it were really boring, I would say, well, throw whatever you have in there to make it lively. But it's lively enough, and it's pretty good. And so it'll be coming, um, I'm pretty sure, to either Brooklyn Academy of Music or maybe uh, someplace in Dumbo next season in New York. So I do recommend Argonautica. That's coming in a few months. I saw it at Berkeley Rep. Or, or should I say, Berkeley rep, and was happy to do so. Anyway, I'm gonna move on with more of Dave's Gong by. We've got the news Gong by coming up right after this message.
1: Wake up the global village. Getting paid to be on the news, tell anybody. News, news, the news, TV, and the news of the world. My radio's on, the news is all bad, but it's good to relax.
0: Yes, thank you, Tom Paxton. The news is mostly bad, but hopefully you'll get some laughs out of it. As we do the news gone by on this Sunday night, November 2nd, 2007, we take a look at local and world events from a striking perspective. Well, it was a bad week for Leland Eisenberg, a middle-aged man with some mental health problems and some marital problems, and now some mental hospital for the rest of his life problems. Old Leland has been going through an ugly divorce, not to mention drug and alcohol difficulties, so he did what any of us would do under the circumstances, I think. He walked into the campaign headquarters of Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire and asked to talk to her. When she wasn't there, he opened his coat, showed that he had a bomb strapped to his chest, and said, I really, really want to talk to her. The hostage standoff took about five hours, nobody hurt and he never did get to talk to Hillary. In fact, the bomb on his chest was nothing more than a couple of road flares held on by duct tape. Asked what she would have done if she had been there during the crisis, Hillary said she would have supported the SWAT team going in, assuming she had all the facts. Barack Obama said he might go in or might not, but he'd want to hold lengthy meetings with everyone involved to get a sense of how to proceed. Rudy Giuliani said he'd bomb the office and ask questions later. John Edwards said, how's my hair? And Fred Thompson said, what crisis? Tragedy struck the football world this week when Sean Taylor, safety for the Washington Redskins, was killed by a home intruder. Taylor was shot in the leg and lost so much blood, he weakened and never regained consciousness. Even in that condition, however, he was still the number two draft pick for the New York Jets. Also in sports news, Nori Nori to Asa Shoryu, the Japanese sumo wrestler who missed a, few mi- missed a few matches because of a bad back. Only someone shot video of him playing soccer during his convalescence. Asa Shoryu has been a troublemaker for a while, one time pulling an opponent's hair and picking a fight with him in the bathhouse after the match. Now, I don't have anything really funny to say about all that, except... Sumo wrestlers hair pulling in the shower. Sumo wrestlers playing soccer. YouTube, where are you on this? We need the video. I mean, sumo wrestlers hula dancing, just getting old. Sad news from Jacksonville, Florida, where J. Robert Cade, the inventor of Gatorade, died on Tuesday of kidney failure. He was 80 years old and invented the sports drink 43 years ago. ago. <clears throat> According to the Associated Press... Cade was a researcher at the University of Florida when the Gators football coach asked him a question. I kid you not. The question was, why don't football players wee-wee after a game? And Cade said the question, quote, changed our lives. And he tried to answer it by learning just how much fluid the players worked off during a game. Turns out, they could drop as much as 18 pounds, not to mention salt, chloride and plasma. So, J. Robert Cade came up with a drink to replenish these bodily requirements during the game. And, like most worthwhile victories, the going was not always smooth. In fact, the first drink went over badly. One researcher told AP, quote, sort of tasted like toilet bowl cleaner, unquote. And Cade himself chimed in, quote, I guzzled it and I vomited as you can imagine, this did not start marketing blitz for Gatorade, but they worked on the taste thing, and by 2006, Gatorade was being sold in 80 countries, and cornering 81% of the American sports drink market. J. Robert Cade leaves behind a wife and six children, He was buried in Mount Kisco Cemetery, and he was embalmed with a solution of water, sodium, electrolytes, glucose, and natural orange flavor. In food news, Hershey, makers of the Great American Chocolate Bar, seem to have created the Great Peruvian Mint, or at least it looks like Peruvian, or Bolivian, or plain old nickel bag American, according to police officials. The packaging of the company's new Icebreakers candies is incredibly similar to that of powdered drugs like crack and cocaine. Hershey's spokesman denied that these mints were drug lookalikes. first of all because the name Icebreaker Mint is printed on every pouch, and secondly because the razor blade included in every bag is obviously fake. On the travel front, a small town in northern Sweden is hoping to boost its tourism by building a giant wooden moose. I kid you not. They're planning to build the moose 148... Feet tall and 155 feet long, with a restaurant inside its belly. A barbershop is also planned for the site. That barbershop will undoubtedly specialize in uh, styling moose. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm just going to let that joke hang there for a minute. Just going to let it die an unnatural death. And once the stink has died down, we memorialize that joke by ringing the comedy bell. Yes, 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 the ringing of the comedy bell, the bell that signals that Dave's gone by, bad pun of the week. Whenever we do the news gone by, we make a play on words so dear, so elkless, that we ring the bell to find some antlers. And that bell is also a Pavlovian device, ladies and gentlemen. We ring it, and our listeners begin to salivate at the idea of advertising on Dave's Gone By. You can advertise your product or service on this program and reach a listenership that has grown and stayed loyal and even, if I may say, fanatical over the past five years. It's almost winter time. It's holiday time. People are shopping. They're buying. Do you want them to shop at your store? Do you want them to patronize your restaurant, your travel agency, your car dealership? Dave's Gone By can make it happen. All it takes is an ad, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or you can even sponsor an entire episode all at really inexpensive and unmissable rates. Visit my website, davesgoneby.org, to see the rate card, as well as the history of this program, davesgoneby.org. And then drop my office an email. Dave's gone by at AOL.com. Or give us a call, 516-295-1511, during business hours. 516-295-1511. Because this time, next week, I could be plugging your bakery, your nail salon, your dental practice. I could be plugging your wife. Well, not if my wife has anything to say about it, but seriously, folks, Dave's gone by at AOL.com is the email 516-295-1511 516 is the number. And getting customers and establishing a radio presence is the reason. I ring the comedy bell, and your advertising glands go crazy. So don't be good. Be ponderful. Returning to the news gone by. Ever been walking around the city, have to go to the bathroom, and don't know where? Well, the Westminster City Council in London has come up with a novel way to help peeful people out. Anyone who text messages the word toilet to number 80097 will hear a list of bathrooms in the area. It costs 25 cents a call and uses mobile phone technology to pinpoint where the person is in relation to the nearest crapper. Officials are hoping to bring the idea to America. The only stumbling block is that no matter where you are in the Northeast, If you type in the word toilet, it brings you to New Jersey. Now, here's a story to make Rabbi Saul Solomon proud. The public school district in Spokane, Washington, sent out its calendar for 2008 and made sure to include Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and the Muslim Eid on its pages. But they forgot Christmas. Spokesman said it was just an error, not intended to slight Christian people. Still, the principal has been getting all sorts of angry letters and emails. Poor guy. I'm I'm gonna send them a nice note right after New Year's Day, which um let me see their calendar. It's uh oh, ah, May fifteenth. Speaking of Christmas, Mary Moran of Corvallis, Oregon woke last Wednesday to see the beloved pine tree in her yard cut down by tree thieves. It was the tree that she would decorate every year for the holidays and a popular favorite in the neighborhood. Ms. Moran says she'll still celebrate Christmas and still decorate her yard. She told reporters she'll simply concentrate on the base and decorate the stump. It's a technique she learned from watching quadriplegic sex videos. You know, even as I was making that joke, I was apologizing for it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Twenty-five years ago, a little boy was playing on a Minnesota farm when he lost his bracelet. Couldn't find it. Looked all over the barn. Pretty soon, barn was torn down, with some of its materials used to construct another barn 45 miles away. Cut to last week, when a butcher in Fairmont, Minnesota, sliced open a chicken gizzard and found, you guessed it, the bracelet, complete with the boy's name and address. Of course, the boy is now 31 years old, alone on a farm, and, well, you don't want to know where he lost his wristwatch. And what would the news gone by be without a little news of the weird, courtesy of the New York Post? British opera singer Tony Henry was asked to sing the Croatian national anthem during a soccer match between England and the former Yugoslavian state. And he had most of the Croatian lyrics to Our Beautiful Homeland down pat. However, at one point, when he thought he was singing You know, my dear, how we love your mountains, he was actually singing My dear, my penis is a mountain. Croatia won the match. Not only that, far from having hard feelings hard being the operative term, they've asked him to sing and be the mascot for Euro 2008. That's true. Henry says he'd love to do it as soon as he sorts through the pile of panties and hotel room keys outside his front door. So, when was the last time you did anything for poor, disabled children? I thought so. So let's hear it for Maria Carolina, who is raising thousands and thousands of dollars for charity in Latin America. How's she doing it? Prostitution! She has currently auctioned off 27 hours of her sex time. Now, it's legal in Chile, where Carolina's from, and she's already raised 4000 bucks for the Teleton Fund. Campaign organizer Mario Kreutzberger, he's better known as the one and only Don Francisco on TV Sabado Gigante, Mario says he doesn't want to encourage immoral behavior, but he's okay taking her money. Maria Carolina told the press, quote, people are going to be donating money a lot more questionable than mine. The only thing I did was publicize it. In related news, next year's Jerry Lewis Muscular Dystrophy Telethon will broadcast live from Nevada's Mustang Ranch, where Ed McMahon will distribute condoms, lube, and his own sexual favors for, well, anyone. Sad news in the entertainment world. Robert Craig Knievel known throughout the world as Evil Knievel, Stuntman, and Daredevil, died on Friday at age 69. He was in poor health for years, but in his prime, he was the guy who tried and failed to jump Snake River Canyon on a rocket-powered motorcycle. Knievel was almost better known for his crashes than his attempts. He once told a reporter, quote, they started watching me bust my ass, and I became a part of their lives. They wanted to associate with someone who kept trying to be a winner, unquote. Perhaps Evil Knievel's best crash was at Caesar's Palace in 1968. He jumped 151 feet across the fountains, and he cleared them. But he crash-landed and went into a coma that lasted a month. He also broke his pelvis, jumping over 13 buses at Wembley Stadium, For his funeral, Mr. Knievel has vowed to make his casket leap over eight headstones, two pallbearers, and a Pentecostal choir.
1: Finally...
0: In the news gone by, the great nation of Sudan has come down strongly for law and order and justice and fairness and all that by arresting a teacher for allowing her class to name a teddy bear Muhammad. You heard about this, right? The visiting British teacher got two weeks in jail, plus deportation, because she allowed her students to name the toy after Islam's holiest prophet. She actually got off easy. In Sudan, insulting old Mo is punishable, punishable by up to six months in jail and 40 lashes, not proverbial, literal, 40 lashes with a whip. Though governments around the world have called her trial a joke and her punishment insane, the Sudanese government said Jillian Gibbons received, quote, not much of a punishment at all, and that her jail time should serve as, quote, a warning that such acts should not be repeated. Well, gee, I guess they wouldn't go for my idea of a new Saturday morning cartoon, SpongeBob Mohammed Pants. And I probably shouldn't open that fast food restaurant in Sudan either, a Koran fried chicken. And, gosh, I probably shouldn't have suggested Trojan rename their condom line Ultra Allah. Live and learn. Anyway, that's the news gone by for Sunday, December 2nd, 2007. Please send your comments, opinions, and lubricated Mohammeds To Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 62, Muhammad, New York, 11557-0062. That's Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-006, Muhammad. We reserve the right to Muhammad your letters on the air, but we'll withhold your Muhammad's upon request. In fact, we love getting your filthiest Muhammad's in the mail. Short ones, long ones, even... Even the dumbest, most ignorant Mohammeds are fun to read. So, by all means, keep sending. Our email address is davesgoneby at aol.com. That's davesgoneby at Use the snail address for postcards, greeting cards, tarot cards, and Mohammeds. But please, no Gatorade. I'm already crocked. We'll be right back with more Muhammad after this message from Mohammed.
1: And that was new, if that was new,
0: that was very, very, very special news Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theater's Performing Arts Insider, your everything theater guide. Broadway's back, yes, on this Inside Broadway segment, on the Outside the Strike Zone episode of Dave's Gone By on this December 2nd, 2007, Broadway, which was on strike for a little over two weeks, is back in business. Concessions were made on both sides, between the producers and the theater owners and the stagehands, who were striking for, uh, well, to keep what they've got, and the producers were trying to take a little bit more of what they felt they deserved, so either way, it was tough, it was angry, but they settled it, and now, trying to get Broadway back in business really, really quickly, like um, Rent, which is back running, they're discounting their top tickets from $110 to $65 up until December 23rd, so right before Christmas, you want to catch that, you can save some dough, and some other uh, shows are, are doing some discounts, or we're doing them this week as they got rolling again. And also, shows that were supposed to have opened in the past week or so and, and couldn't because of the strike, they've already set new opening dates, and it's already happening now. So it's all going on. The only one that seems to be really significantly affected further is Little Mermaid. The big Disney musical has pushed their opening date all the way to January 10th, instead of opening in the middle of December, but it uh, sounds like they kind of needed the time anyway. Well, what's opening this week on Broadway? The Farnsworth Invention, opening tomorrow, December 3rd, at the Music Box Theater. Aaron Sorkin, the guy who created The West Wing, and A Few Good Men. He wrote it. Des Makinoff, who directed Tommy, he's directing it. And Hank Azaria of The Simpsons is in it. It's all about who invented television. It's called The Farnsworth Invention. And by the way, television people, as I said earlier in this episode, listen to Dave's Gone By next week, because our special guest is going to be the creator, one of the founders of Viacom, and also a guy who was with television pretty much from the very beginning, Ralph Baruch. Um, And he's written his autobiography. It's an amazing story, so don't miss it. But anyway, for more about television... You can see The Farnsworth Invention on Broadway opening tomorrow. Cymbeline opened today at Lincoln Center's Vivian Beaumont Theater. Now, Lincoln Center wasn't affected by the strike, so it was going to open today no matter what. The cast is Michael Cerveris, speaking of Tommy, because he was in it. Also, uh, Jonathan Cake, John Cullum, Martha Plimpton, and Felicia Rashad are all in the story of a deceived husband, courtesy of William Shakespeare. Also, opening Thursday, December 6th, at the Booth Theater, The Seafarer. It's the latest play from Connor McPherson, the guy who gave us The Weir and Shining City and these other Irish plays. And this is another one. It's about uh, two two brothers, aging brothers, who play cards with a stranger who's made a deal with them in their past. And since um, I saw the show. I'm not, I'm not going to review it until next week because it's not open yet. But uh, I will say that it's... Something to see for the acting. That's all I'll say. But it's opening at the Booth Theater this Thursday, The Seafarer. And if you want a nice long American play, three and a half hours of it, you can see August Osage County, which is opening this Tuesday, December 4th, at the Imperial Theater. It's by the guy who wrote Killer Joe. Tracy Letts, and it's gotten sensational reviews when it played in Chicago, and the other interesting thing about August Osage County is that Tracy Letts' father is in it, so if you want to see uh, Father and Son, well, Son wrote it, Father's in it, see August Osage County at the Imperial Theater, and one note about a show that's coming next season, a show that we never thought we'd hear of again, it's called Busker Alley and it's a musical by the Sherman Brothers those are the guys who made Chicky Chicky Bang Bang and Mary Poppins which is being revived or being performed successfully on Broadway now well the Sherman Brothers wrote this story of a a street busker and the woman he falls in love with and it was supposed to come to Broadway ten years ago more than ten years ago with Tommy Toon starring but um, well there were all sorts of problems with it back then including Tommy Toon breaking his foot Some say intentionally, but disappeared, went away, and now suddenly it's back with Jim Dale set to star, happening next season. Buster Alley will be looking for it. I'm going to go jumping right to the reviews, including Pygmalion, which I caught up with at the Roundabout Theater. That was also another show not affected by the strike. It's been running for a couple of weeks. Jefferson Mays stars as Angry Iggins, the elocution expert who picks Claire Gaines, the cockney flower girl, out of the street and tries to transform her into a duchess. Boyd Gaines is along to play Pickering. You know him from Journey's End last year and also as the boyfriend in One Day at a Time on TV from a long time ago. And also the wonderful Helen Carey is in it as well as um, Henry's mother. So... If you read the reviews when the show first came out, they said, oh, well, Claire Danes is delightful and pretty, and she's a marvelous Eliza Doolittle, and she really gets both the accents down pat, both when she's a cockney flower girl and when she rises to the upper class. And she is really very good. But then they said all these things about Jefferson Mays, the guy from um, I Am My Own Wife. they saying, well, he was really wrong for it, and he's a spoiled baby, and he says, what is he really doing? Well, I saw... Pygmalion, a couple of nights ago, and let me tell you, he knows exactly what he's doing. This is not My Fair Lady. This is not the little sweet romance between sexy Rexy Harrison and, and Audrey Hepburn or Julie Andrews. This is the story of two people who really don't necessarily belong together, except they're thrown together because he creates her in his image. The problem is, he is a confirmed bachelor, and kind of a jerk and he's meant to be that way, and meant to be something of a baby, and, and totally antisocial. And Jefferson Mays plays that to the hilt, sometimes mugging a little bit, but most of the time, I, I was watching him a lot more than I was watching Eliza, because he was fascinating, and I absolutely recommend this revival of Pygmalion. It's also very funny, it goes quickly, and I have to say, only rarely... Did I miss the songs? There was, there was only one scene that really went on and on. I think it was, it was most of the Alfred Doolittle scenes where it, it becomes a little too political and a little much of too, too much of Bernard Shaw and not enough of the characters. The rest of it, absolutely recommend it. Go see it. Unfortunately, <coughs> pardon me, off-Broadway, I cannot recommend Die, Mommy, Die, the latest from Charles Bush, that really, really talented actor and writer and I guess you would call him a drag artist. And he did The Lady in Question years ago, and then he sort of took up the mantle uh, that Charles Ludlam have of the Ridiculous Theatrical Company after, well, Ludlam died. So Bush became the hope for that kind of theater. Very spoofy, incredibly campy, uh, dressed up as as women, of course, but, but also all the characters are really nutty and campy. This just didn't make me laugh too much. Granted, I admit... I saw it on a Saturday afternoon while I was really kind of tired, and didn't really bring my best self to it, as I should, but at the same time, a good comedy is going to wake me up and get me going, and this, I just felt, was pretty tired, it's a murder mystery about um, this, this woman who was once a famous singer and actress, and she ends up marrying a, a very big, rich uh, film producer, only he's not so rich anymore, and he's in debt, and... Well, she kills him, or does she, or doesn't she? The story is pretty typical for this kind of making fun of a mystery thriller kind of a thing, and there are some laughs in it, especially in the last few minutes, but I just kind of felt that he'd been through this turf before, and I've been through this turf before, and Die Mommy Die just did not live Mommy Live. Oh well, can't recommend it. But I do recommend, now that Broadway's back in business, go see a Broadway show, go see an off-Broadway show, and make yourself a part of Inside Broadway. We've just been Inside Broadway, thanks to TotalTheater.com and Performing Arts Insider.
1: All the Jews everywhere celebrate Kanaka. But there can be differences in how they do the rituals. For example, Ashkenazic Jews have a candelabra for every member of the family, while the Sephardim might have just one lamp for the entire household, she (laughs) bested. And people have different ways of playing Dreadle, the -the spin-the-top gambling game. You can bet with pennies, filberts, lithium. You can spin the dreidel right side up or on its little head. You can have a circle where the dreidel can't go out of bounds. But I have discovered yet another way to play dreidel. And I did not want to. But just so happens, Monday was my annual colonoscopy with Dr. Sheffman. Now men, if you are over 40 and you've been thinking, I should, I should, let me say It is not an unpleasant exam if you enjoy pain and humiliation. It is, however, something you should do to be better safe than sorry. So, I'm on the table, and my better side is up in the air. And the doctor is doing his thing. He's pushing the tube. He's talking sports. He's pushing the tube. He's talking his college reunion. He's pushing the tube. He's reciting Beowulf. It's really a charming way to spend an afternoon. But he's pushing and then he's looking and he's wiggling and he sees nothing. Thank God. And then he's pulling the tube and talking more sports and pulling the tube and singing to himself and pulling the tube and I'm reciting the schwa. But soon I feel the thing go out of my numb sphincter. I breathe a sigh of relief. And I say, Doctor, ugh, am I done? And he says, just one more thing. He puts his hand where Hashem don't shine and then I feel something else going up, but up, but up. After a minute, he takes off his glove and says, okay, get dressed. I say, what the hell was that? He says, it's an exploratory camera. Brand new technology. We leave it in your body for a week and it provides a three-dimensional time-lapse photograph of your colon. Think of it as a GAF, master of your poop shoot. Not only is it useful, he says, but next time your annoying cousin shows slides from his trip to Barcelona, you can say, big deal, look at these. <laughs> I have to admit, he has a point. No, not about the size. But I ask him, is it painful? Am I going to feel this camera in me? And Dr. Sheffman says, you might have occasional discomfort or slight constipation, but believe it or not, You may also find it mildly pleasurable, because the rubber tip is near your prostate. Come, take a look at this. So I hop off the table, and the doctor turns on the TV. And while he's finding the right channel, he says, oh, and I have one other surprise for you. And I'm like, what, you put an iPod in my nuts? And he's like, no, 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 I I felt this procedure was necessary for you, honestly. I know it's not fun spending Chanukah having your intestines monitored. So, I designed the camera specially for the holiday. Look! I look at the TV screen. And, as Hashem is my witness, there's a drago in my colon. Isn't it amazing, says the doctor. There are lenses on all four sides with an extra view for the gimel. And I look at Dr. Frankenstein here, and I say, Please tell me the FDA approved this. Sal, boobie, he says. It's just a regular diagnostic camera. All I did was build a shell around it. It's like buying a telephone shaped like Mickey Mouse. It's still a telephone. That's fine, I said. But if someone shoves the phone up my ass, it better have a nice ring. Look, says Dr. Sheffman. As soon as I get ten more patients, I'm going to take out a patent on the Dregel cam and write it up for the New England Journal of Medicine. We could make history. I'm happy for us, I said, still disconcerted by this shanaka toy lodged in my fudge tunnel. I was about to argue further when I couldn't help it. I fogged. There was no disguising it, no blaming it on the nurse. No pointing out the window and saying, Oh, look, someone from New Jersey just passed by. No, I had to own up to it. But before I could even say excuse me, Dr. Shefflin said, Don't worry, perfectly natural. After what I was doing up there, you're lucky it was just air. Not as lucky as you, I said. (laughs) We both had a laugh. But then, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed the TV monitor. There was the Dregel. What strange as this may sound, it was no longer displaying the gimbal. Now it was on hay. Hay, I said, there's a hay. So, said the doctor, there was a gimbal before. It moved. You mean when you... Yes. At that point, I foofed again. A real motorcycle foof, the kind that shakes curtains. And the doctor pointed frantically at the TV screen. It's on the nun. See, I told you, I told him. Do me a favor, says the doctor. Make like you're going to the bathroom. What? Tighten your muscles and push. We may have discovered something here. So, I clench my teeth. And I clench elsewhere. And soon, the draggle starts to turn. If I squeeze on my left side, it turns to the nun. To the right, it's the shin. And if I tighten my sphincter, it turns slowly like a calder-mobile. And, I have to say, as disgusting as it sounds, and as discomforting as it was, once I knew I could do this, I felt a lot better about having a top in my plop shop. In fact, I've been having so much fun with the drago cam, I'm going to miss it, when I have to give it back next week. Hey, hold, hold on. Shin So I hope doctor Sheffman gets his patent and if he tries to market it to hospitals, I've even written a little jingle, a song to make the Drago cam a hot item on the sigmoid market. It's called anal Drago, and it goes like this. I have an anal dradle. I keep it in my hole, I spin it with my muscles. it's quite a nasca dole, oh, dradle, dreidel, dreidel, it's sitting in my ass, and when it's high and ready, I twirl it with my gas, I have an anal dreidel, I keep it deep within, and if I eat my fiber, it never comes out shin, oh, dreidel, dradle, dreidel, so tight between my cheeks, and when I spin it backwards, my hurts for weeks. I have an anal dreidel. It's tilted towards the gimel. And if it spins too quickly, I cry out, golden himmel! I have an anal dreidel. I made it out of wood. And if you turn it slowly, it feels really, really good. Whoa, anal, 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 a dreidel in my tush. Though you want to sing it, well, watch out for the mush, yeah! I have an anal dreidel, which doesn't make me gay, but when I have an enema, they always hit the hay. Hey, draggle draggle Dragle. I made you out of beads, and when I spin you upside down, my small intestine bleeds. I have an anal dreidel, and you might find that funny, but guess where the grand rebbe would keep his chocolate money? Oh, dreidel, draggle Dragle. you're pressed against my stack, but still I like to keep you. Hey,
0: up in my crack and thanks so much for having a great evening here with me Dave Lefkowitz on AM 1240 W Freeport here on Dave's Gone By just thanks so much to the rabbi for his uh, Hanukkah convocations and invocations and uh, I don't even know what to call them I want to thank him for being part of the show also, I want to send out, of course, a shout-out to my good friend Jeff Goodman, who's in Thailand, and will be back in a couple of weeks, but uh, I'll be here holding down the fort on days gone by till his return. I want to thank the sponsors of this program, Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy Kings of Broadway, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett, Long Island. This is the place to go if you say that you watch or, or listen to my radio show, Dave's Gone By. You get 10% off any job, big or small. Also, Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, the Bible of Broadway. Find out more at PerformingArtsInsider.com. And don't forget, if you go to PerformingArtsInsider.com and you're a Dave's Gone By listener, you get an amazing discount. The uh, The magazine comes out 21 times a year. And normally costs about 275 bucks, I think. Well, if you're a Davis Got my listener, you get it for less than 200. PerformingartsInsider.com. Don't miss it. Mortgagesrock.com. they tell you how to either get financing or a mortgage for college loans to, uh, to build onto your house, to do a refi, whatever you want to do, they can either do it for you or teach you how to do it for other people, and you get commission. Mortgages rock. Dot com. Well, I going to do a couple of quick extras. I want to, first of all, thank Stephanie Weil for uh, taking the reins uh, two weeks ago when I was in San Francisco, which I talked about, and I couldn't do the show live here. Stephanie came in, pitched in, did a, did a terrific job, and um, she was also here last week because I was at my uncle's funeral and wasn't sure when I could get to the radio station. So it was uh, really great of her to to show up and be part of that as well. And I'm sure she'll be part of the WGBB family for a while to come. I also want to uh, wish birthday greetings to my mother-in-law, Rosemary Weil, no relation to Stephanie Weil, but relation to my wife, Joyce Weil, whom I love and adore, and who's the, just the greatest person in the whole world. Well, no, her mom's pretty cool, too, and she's having her birthday in a day or two, so happy birthday. Also, continued best wishes to the Pink Cow family, my, uh, my aunt, and uh, her children, who are still getting over the loss of their father. And of all times, I want to wish happy birthday to two of those kids, Josh and Stephanie. Their birthdays are this week. I'm going to tell everybody that Ellen Mandel, who was on this program with her husband, Michael Lydon, uh, she was on here back on October 15th in 2006. She um, will... Hey, having some of her songs sung by Todd Almond, uh, and also some of the songs that she put to to lyrics by Yates and Cummings and Seamus Haney. This will be December 12th at 8 p.m. at St. Mark's Church, 2nd Avenue and 10th Street in Manhattan. That's uh, December 12th, uh, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. You can hear her music sung by Todd Almond. At St. Mark's Church. Also, hey, Bruce Adler, who was on our 200th program back last December, he'll be appearing in the York Theater's Musicals and Mufti staged reading of Enter Laughing the Musical. Now, this is pretty good. It might mean that they're going to try and do this musical as part of their real season next season. So check him out. Bruce Adler, he'll be appearing with Jill Eikenberry and Michael Tucker remember them from L.A. Law, and uh, Josh Brissetti, presumably playing the Danny Colowitz role of the young Jewish boy who wants to be an actor. So, Bruce Adler, that's happening December 13th through the 15th at the York Theater, up on East 54th Street in the City Core Building. Okay, some last minute reminders before we get to Gospel All Night Until the Morning, reminding you that Dave's Gone By on TV airs every Friday morning at 7.30 on Woodbury Long Island Cable Channel 20, that's the usual cable vision around here Friday mornings at 730 also reminding you that Shalom Dammit Rabbi Saul Solomon's Peace, Love and Acid Reflux Hour airs every Wednesday at 730 AM on Woodbury Long Island cable channel 20 same channel as Dave's gone by on TV and you can see the first seven episodes of Shalom Dammit anytime at all on youtube.com just search for Shalom it! Watch for Jeff Goodman, Charlie Gross, and myself on YouTube, doing Two on the Aisle, the theater review program that they do on Manhattan Cable TV. And don't forget that you can hear a bunch of vintage Dave's Gone By shows at Pod dot com that's theater with an ER Theaterpod dot com. And make sure to listen to Filler Up every Saturday night at 530 on WTV. That's just a half hour of music that I choose and that I talk about. So ah and by all means remember next week, the next episode of Dave's Gone By is our 250th. And my special guest will be Ralph Baruch, the founder, one of the founders but the main founder of Viacom Cable. What a story he has to tell. Anyway, we will be back next Sunday, December 9th, 2007, with the 250th episode of Dave's Gone By. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz wishing you good night, Mohammed safely,
1: and gone by. Let's all sing on and thank Hashem for this festival. Maccabees restored the peace, and kicked the Greeks in the testicles. Hashem did these things for us, so we light menorahs. We give toys to girls and boys, but Hanukkah isn't Christmas Eve. Keep your trees and keep your Jesus, we respect, but we don't believe. You can have your Christmas cheer, but keep away, we are Jewish here. Why must every Jew endure silent night in a Rite Aid store? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer has no business flying here. Santa Claus ain't ours, he's yours. Jingle bells isn't what we sing. No offense, just common sense. Chanukah is a Jewish thing. Chanukah is a Jewish thing. Chanukah is a Jewish thing. Hang hey. yeah.